Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Hey friends, if you are looking for ad-free Sense of Soul episodes, you can find them at Sense of Soul Patreon. Become a monthly member at any level. You will also have access to our monthly SOS Sacred Circles, our mini-series, merch, and much more. And it's a great way to help support our podcast so that we can continue to bring you inspiring episodes twice a week with our enlightened guests from all around the world. Check out our Patreon. Today we have with us Michelle Hillier. She is a recovery coach, a transformational breathwork coach, a TEDx speaker, a dance movement specialist, yoga instructor, certified meditation, social emotional learning wellness coach, and she is the founder of Breath and Fire, a wellness program that helps people identify gaps in their lives that are holding them back from becoming who they truly want to be. Thank you so much, Michelle, for being with us. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I am good. Where are you in the in the U.S.? I'm in Aurora, Colorado. Colorado. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Where are you at? Uh, Toronto, Canada. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's snowing really good right now. So yeah. I wish we had, we've had a gray, like we had snow at Christmas. We normally have, we're Canada. We have tons of snow. Yeah. We just had gray and cold. We have not seen the sun. We have a vitamin D deficiency for like two weeks here. It's ever, everyone is just like, oh, where's the sun? Oh. It's going to be zero degrees here. Where's the snow and sun? I know. Very similar weather uh, to Colorado. Yeah. I'm excited to hear about your story. I love breath and fire. So I'm a Reiki master teacher. Oh, and nice. so when I'm doing the attunements, I try to do the breath of fire. The breath of fire. Yeah. I do it a little bit here and there with clients and in classes, but um, I love it. It's a tough, that's a real powerful practice. Breath of fire. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. You know, one of the things at the beginning of my journey, I discovered was that I didn't breathe. <laughs> that's it. One of the hugest like somatic pieces for me is like, I found my breath and that's yeah. where I called it breath and fire breath, breath to like, find your breath, find your yeah. calm the power of that and then ignite your fire, which I had no problem doing. I was, I was on fire for about 25 years. So uh, <laughs> that was no problem. <laughs> so, you know, I remember when I, I took some classes, well, cause I'm also a massage therapist. One of my classes was, I think it was like a shiatsu class or acupressure or something. And we went over the elements of like what we are and I am earth. Okay. And I am the unhealthy fire. So there's like the two different fires. Mm-hmm. And I'm the one that was, is too busy is, you know, too much energy, mm-hmm. almost like that hyper dysfunctional, um, yeah. ADHD kind of fire. Right. That, that um, was, I can relate to that. The raging inferno. That was me like saying yes to everything, always busy yeah. in myself. And that came along with like alcohol, which was funny because alcohol, you know, you just take alcohol and put it on fire. It's like, in, like for real, like the two substances together. And I just posted that way for a long time. Wow. So I haven't drank in over 12 years because I'm surrounded by alcoholics. I've just decided not to. And, you know, my children, when I made this decision, they were going into high school and stuff. And I just decided just to be that person that was sober. I really never liked it that much. I like coffee a lot though. <laughs> I love my, I've, I've not got, I've not given that up. That might be who knows when, but yeah. you know, but I did also do Al-Anon. I still do sometimes. Good. And you know, I don't know if you knew, but Carl Jung had a big play in the big book. Yeah. 
It's great literature. Yeah. No, for sure. The, this deeper spirituality, like I don't think anybody really knows that it is a spiritual program. It, that's the, at the end yeah. of the day. Yes, we get, yes, there are these steps to get you sober and, uh, but really it's about finding your spirituality and your sense of soul, like your sense of self. When you don't have that, you're out of alignment and you're in dis-ease, like you're distant, yeah. distant from ease. So who were you before Michelle, before you were the founder of Breath and Fire? Yeah. So I was a lot of changes. I was married. So I was a wife, which I'm no longer anymore. I'm single. So I was a wife to a man of uh, 20 years with a gorgeous son. He's 10 now. If you look on paper, my title would look the same. So speaker, founder of a business I started in 2007 called Fit to Dance, which then evolved into something called the Groove Education. So it was all around getting dance and fitness and movement accessible for children in schools. So I was a high school teacher and I I left the traditional classroom setting after three years and started my own business. So um, it went quickly into me having a team of facilitators and then being sought after across pretty much North America. I spent a lot of time in the U.S. on stages and doing workshops and trainings for teachers on how to make movement really accessible and, and easy and getting every kid the sort of inspiration that they can move and they can dance. So I I was doing all the things. I mean, I was facilitating. I was a leader. I had a team. I was social. I was saying yes to everything. I was bubbly. I was perceived as bubbly and spirited and fun to be around. But I also was an alcoholic. Drinking was a huge embedded in everything I did. So whether it was at conferences and events or with friends or after classes with my participants I never really drank over negative news or I wasn't like a closet, quiet, depressed drinker. I was like the party girl. And it kind of came along with uh, having my own business and being an entrepreneur. And I sort of dove into the corporate scene just before COVID for two years. So I was then doing movement and activation breaks and wellness workshops for the corporate world. So banks, insurance companies, large organizations, I was flying all over Canada. That comes with an open bar everywhere. So I thought I kind of, I feel like I had it made in terms of I got to party and work and do all my things, but I knew something was off. I knew I couldn't sustain it. I knew something was, I knew I couldn't do it, keep going this way. There was a deep core unhappiness that no one knew about. And I didn't really know about the depth of it until I got sober. Do you think that the alcohol also helped you be fun and more open and more relaxed you know, know with your clients and with the people around you? That's a great question. And I've done a lot of thinking about even when my drinking started, like, did I need alcohol in my teenage years in university to go to parties? Right. Because it's everywhere. I grew up in a smaller town outside Toronto and booze was where if you didn't drink, you didn't have a social life pretty much (laughs) like bush parties and house parties. Alcohol was just there. And then university, it's very typical for students to binge drink and party drink. And I thought, do, did I need alcohol to, to engage in all that? No, I didn't because I'm a very, I'm comfortable around people. But I think what alcohol did for me was tolerate situations I would never have gone to before. It gave me a level of tolerance. And now in sobriety, I just either choose not to go to like the mum crowd that's drinking, you know, at someone's house on a weekend. I would go no problem before because I knew alcohol would be there for me to tolerate the people there, the, the conversations being had, the environment. So I think it let me stay a little longer or stay till the end. <laughs> uh, so now I just either either don't go or I stay very short of things. So it, I didn't need it to be fun and outgoing, but I needed to stay. Wow. Yeah. It gave me tolerance. 
to tolerate things I didn't want to be in, especially when drinking was aligned with work situations. So like I said, when I was traveling for corporate events, you sort of are assumed you're going to have to be at the hotel lobby bar, you know, before the event and then after the event and drinking is everywhere and thinking, I don't even want to talk to these people half the time. Yeah. Rather be in my room, right. but I know sober, I sober. I don't like you. <laughs> yeah, sober. I don't think we have anything in common. But but then get it, get the alcohol there, get the buzz going, get the the drinks flowing, and I was great, and I was could tolerate it all. And but then I never knew when to stop. That was my problem too. I was fun, fun, fun. It's just too much fun. Everyone's like, we're done, and you're like, what? <laughs> Come back to my room. Yeah, there was just never, and you know what? It was all lack of self awareness. I was just, I've that's. If someone could ask me, I, I, I something did ask me at a studio I work at here in Toronto. Um, they didn't know I got sober during COVID. And they said, what's been the hugest change? Because they were mentioning you look different. You feel different. They hadn't seen me since 2020. And what's the biggest change? And I said, my level of self-awareness. I mean, there's many things, but if I can like pinpoint it to one thing, it's this like deep connection to self that I didn't have while, while I'm drinking socially for years and years. Yeah. yeah. So how did it affect your relationships? I mean, you know, your personal relationships when you quit drinking, because I know that that's difficult as well. I mean, because a lot of your relationships are, are really around parking. And it's true. It comes with a lot. And that's the, I think that's a big fear for um, individuals when they are considering sobriety or sober curious. And I was sober curious in like 2010, like 12 years before I actually got sober or 10 years um. And I thought, God, what would my life be? It'd be boring. What would I do? Those are my big questions. And I, I, I work as a coach now in recovery and volunteer at a treatment center up in Canada. When people are sober curious, my clients, it's like, what will I do? Like my life is revolves around drinking with my husband at night. We share a bottle of wine or I go with my girlfriends away for weekends or go to these events for work, and especially when it's work connected, like it's expected that I drink. So we have these ideas and I had those too. What I can say is that it comes with a ton of change. Now, the nice piece was that COVID was lined up perfectly with my sobriety. So nothing was going on. It was an absolute gift that I, all of a sudden we're going to get you sober and you're going to work on your recovery and your sobriety. And there's no Christmas. There's no New Year's. Yeah. No, it's actually beautiful. And I, I, yeah, it's amazing. It was an amazing gift. It's a transitional period for so many people, even though it was a shit show, but yes. So my family, we're from Louisiana. So we actually get together and eat, <laughs> but like my partner's family, they get together and drink. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, it seems like there's these dynamics. We do a lot of things early on his side, because mm -hmm. if you do it too late, then, you know, it could ruin Christmas. So absolutely. Like the girlfriends that supported me that I, I guess, quote, drank with beforehand, like, you know, my friends were so supportive and like their concern for me with alcohol uh, mm -hmm. before I, I sought treatment and got sober. They're still all in my life and we just do different things. And it's actually beautiful yeah. instead getting together for, you know, pre-Christmas, I always got together with this one friend and we used to go for like a boozy lunch and it would lead to like us picking up the kids after school on the last day. Instead, we did like a hot yoga class and went for coffee after. Oh, nice. And then I, early, instead of late nights with girls, I do early, early morning walks with them. So it's just, and they appreciate it too, Shana. Like I can see, I'm not sure if I'm, I don't want to say that I am, but they're getting cured. I can tell they're getting curious about their relationship with alcohol as well. After seeing yeah. the, positive, the positive effects it's had on me and uh, I am kind of a glue in my friends. I keep, I, I'm very much, I keep in touch with all of them. I always reach out. And so 
I don't know if they're drinking less or if they're doing less. Cause I, I just don't see everybody drinking as much around me, or maybe it's just what I, what I want to perceive. <laughs> I don't know. Did you at the beginning have to kind of place those boundaries though? Yeah. My first couple of social situations, I either didn't go or I would go early and, and leave early, but mm-hmm. my girlfriends, but the people that loved me and cared about me, like never, never forced, forced me to create a boundary. I didn't have to with that. Like if anything, I'd say, no, 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 go ahead and have that glass of wine. And they're like, no, I really don't want to around you. And no, I I mean, I didn't have to set boundaries where if I see this person, my boundary is if they drink, I need to leave. I didn't need to set those. And I come from a very small family. So my now ex-husband and I uh, separated and divorced. Now his family was sort of my family here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I no longer saw them as much and yeah, they drank and I drank with them, but that was sort of removed from my life. I'm an only child. My father passed like 15 years ago. So my mom and I, that's it. And she uh, went super uh, downhill with dementia during COVID. So wow. I had a, place a nursing home, like a caregiving home for dementia, which was a big part of my, about with the active addiction, with the alcohol really becoming a problem during COVID was that was all I knew to cope with this huge like monumental, you know, situation with her. And now she, she's, she's safe and she's healthy and happy, but she has no clue who I am. So mm-hmm. I, I used to like share wine with her so that that's now removed. So it's like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in this really safe place where no alcohol is not really around me unless mm-hmm. I go and find it. Right. A lot of my friends in recovery have to deal with their spouse or their friends or their family drinking heavily all the time in my recovery circles is like, man, my husband drinks every night and I'm asking him not to, I can't be around it. I think that would be really hard. So I I really feel grateful. I haven't had to set boundaries like that, but I would, if I had to, so it's not in my house, it's not, it's nowhere around me and, um, makes a lot easier. I mean, it gets, and it gets easier as, as I, the more months that I get. And now I have the obsession to drink is, is totally gone. I think that a lot of times when we, are working on ourselves deeply. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we find is like you in that awareness, you know, we find that we weren't treating ourselves very kindly. You know, we weren't a priority. We didn't have any kind of balance where, you know, more was going out than was coming in. It sounds like you're, you're a teacher, you're a mother, you're a caregiver. Yeah. Um, how did you get there? Like, what was, what did that moment um, look like for you? Cause I, I know for myself, it was a big moment when I realized, mm-hmm. um, oh my God, I talk to myself like I would, I would never talk to anybody like that. That's right. No, I I was probably in denial that I didn't have self-love. I clouded it with self-confidence. So I've always had a very high uh, confidence level. I've been on stages since I've been a little, a little girl and performer, speaker, educator, you know, um, facilitator, no problem. Give me a mic and I'm good. Give me a thousand people and I'm good. But like, that's a level of self-confidence that I had, but I have a strong belief in myself in that arena, like in that performer, Michelle, that like, Mm -hmm. that's at the real Michelle. That's what I'm discovering. That extroverted party performer girl, which served me well for a long time until it didn't. That Mm -hmm. also was not the real me. I actually gain energy from being alone. I never was alone ever before recovery. I never lived alone. I never wanted to spend time alone. And if I was alone, like I, it's amazing to me. I would have a glass or two of wine on my own because I think I didn't want to be with myself because I was afraid of what the answers were going to be. 
And that was the sort of the paradox is that I'm on stages talking about wellness and being yourself and, you know, living your best life. And, and there I am either hungover on that stage or cannot wait to get to the hotel lobby bar after that stage to get a drink. And that's where I mentioned the, the sober curiosity I had 10 years ago. I thought, God, I, it would all be in alignment if I didn't drink. But mm-hmm. I, I didn't know it was. So now where that I'm here, man, it does. So now, now you're in your integrity. Walking, I'm like walking the walk. I'm talking the talk. I can't describe this. It's 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 best. You're free. I'm you're free. free from yeah. all the masks and I'm liberated. Things. Someone's giving the handcuffs have been taking off taken off me where I was constantly thinking about where and and it was all about escaping and numbing and probably knew who who I was. I was afraid yeah. to get to know myself. I know. Isn't that so true? When I look at my young adult children. Of course, they don't know fully who they are, right? But at least I've given them the space to, and I've made sure that they understand that they have the space to. You don't have to be all of the things, all of these systems, you know, it's like irrelevant. The most important thing is to, you know, find that true, authentic spark within. But our generation, right, we were, we were trying to be the most, do the most, the most but there was no like discover yourself that came with maybe travel Europe after university and discover yourself well I did that I worked on a cruise ship for a year I just partied and drank I didn't discover anything <laughs> but, but where the parties were and the beaches so I but I think the sense that that comes with discovering yourself comes with some sense of being okay with being quiet and being alone and being in solitude and and letting it come through and not be if you're that type that has to always be out in the world, people pleasing and getting applause and validation. It's really tough to get to know yourself because your identity of yourself is those that form from others. So I hear great feedback from me for my, whatever I did and accolades and like, that's Michelle, that's who I am. I would, I would self-identify mm-hmm. with how other people talk other about people you. Yeah. And then that would lead to my positive self. I actually had extremely positive self-talk, but it was not the real me. It was people, other people's perceptions of me. Right. When I got to a party or an event or anything, yeah. and it's like, oh, Michelle's here. She's the she's the dancer performer. I thought, you gotta perform. I gotta perform. But really, I just want to slink in, and no one noticed me. And now I can do that. Or now I don't even go. What am I talking about? I don't even, <laughs> now I don't even go to the parties. But before, and that was a lot of pressure. Like you know, teach us a dance or like sing us a song. I'm like, oh my god, what am I a puppet? Uh, and then the drinking would help keep that going again, tolerate, tolerate the situation. The drinking would help. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So you still teach dance and, and movement is still an important part. So, you know, and it's interesting because that multidimensional self, right. That connection, like, I feel like it's so easy to go on one side or the other. Like you're so obsessed with your body or you're so in your head and having that balance is it's the key basically of health, um, emotionally and mentally and physically that will all be balanced together. There's been times where at the beginning of my journey, I wanted to just meditate. And I, I mean, I felt like I was on vacation on the daily. <laughs> See ya, mm-hmm. check it out. <laughs> I can relate and, to that. Yeah. And then coming back to my body, but right. a lot of people experience pain, especially in their thirties and into their forties. And I have so many clients right now. There's so much pain. And I'm like, yeah, it's, your body is literally screaming for you to, you know, honor it and to bring some attention to it. 
I can speak to that. Actually, that really hits home with me being a dancer, mover, fitness person, performer for all the years, coupled with drinking. I remarkably was never injured. So I never had any, any injuries up until my late thirties. I had James, my son around 38. And then I had some serious hip pain after I had him and fast forward after debilitating pain. I had two hip replacement surgeries in 2018. I know. So that, that is sort of where I feel like my quote recovery journey started. However, I was still drinking over it's where the alcohol to numb and to escape from things really took a center stage because Mm. I identified myself as this fit, you know, petite, showgirl, let's just say they got a lot of attention, did her work on stages, getting people dancing and moving. We're going to take you and that's your identity. We're going to take that totally away from you. We're going to ground you. You have to recover in like a, you know, lazy boy and not move. So my identity was like, who am I now? I can't be out in the world doing my things. So that's when alcohol really played a role in like the boredom of recovery and also masking pain. Now it was an amazing lesson too, because all the intense, vigorous, not body aware movements I was doing for a long time, which didn't lead to the hip surgeries. I had a hip dysplasia diagnosis as a child that never got uncovered. And then I needed to have them replaced eventually. Anyway, I just accelerated it with all the work that I did and on my body. So there I am sort of having to redefine myself, learning to walk again. Uh, and it slowed me down. What it, had, what it, it was a gift. It, it slowed me down. I can no longer do anything. Well, I'm not suggested. Suggested that I don't do anything with impact anymore. So I used to be the, you know, the runner, the the try the new CrossFit thing, jumping faster, harder, stronger, all to prove to people mm-hmm. how great I was. And now I do yoga. I, <laughs> I swim. I stretch. And the byproduct is I'm in the best shape I've been in my life. Isn't that crazy? My body's like, yes, you're getting the message. You've slowed the crap down. And that came with being sober awareness. It's all come together. And the mindfulness. I listened to another podcast that you were on, the Mindfulness Mode podcast. Yeah, right. Um, One thing I did hear in the interview, which I thought, you loved Tick.com. Oh, I love Tick.com. Oh my God, bless his soul. I mourned for him for days. I watched his funeral for days. It was so old. How well did that he died? Like, well, he let himself go, right? Right at midnight. Exactly at midnight he went. The 22nd of January, 122. 122, but then right at 0-0 on the clock is when he went. Amazing. I really appreciate his work. I I find it beautiful. I I mean, even eating. If you're mindful with your eating, I mean, you don't eat beyond when you mindful eat. I graze all day. I work from home and kind of work on the road. I'm, I don't like have to have set meals. And so I, I, when I find grazing for me is my way of mindfully eating, like I'm a little hungry now for like, you know, cheese crackers and olives. And then later on, I'll have some fruit and peanuts. Like it's never like a meal and that's just how I work, but that's my way of being mindful of when I'm hungry and operating world different, but that works for me. Well, and when you're meditating and when you're doing, you know, healthy exercises and connecting with your body, you're sleeping better. And sleep is such an important part. It actually burns so many calories when you do, and it regulates all the chemicals that you need that help you not be so hungry or crave sugar. Like if you're sleeping regularly, literally, you will lose weight. I'm like, that's amazing. 
maybe that's why I'm having no trouble with my weight and recovery because I'm sleeping again. Like all of my, course. all my systems were out of alignment. Up. <laughs> yeah. Sleep was out. Eating was off. It was sporadic. Obviously mm-hmm. the toxins and poisons of alcohol. Like I don't miss when I think about that, like I, every other part of my life was, was sort of quote healthy yet I'm pouring out like poison down my throat. Like it, it just didn't go. It didn't fit. Right. So when you finally quit drinking, was were you already involved in, had you already started um, Breath and Fire or did, was, did that come afterwards? Breath and Fire truly was birthed out of my recovery. So I, at that time I sought after treatment. I went to a 30 day treatment program, November, 2020 and got, and like had an eye opening to like what life could be like in recovery and had, it was like a month of discovery and being alone. Mm -hmm. So that was 2021. I spent 2021 dealing with a relapse. I was sober for seven months. Um, I was getting my feet grounded, being separated from my husband and managing the co-parenting of our son. And then I, but I was not working a 12 step program. I wasn't really speaking to any other people in the addicted community or recovery community. I was doing it myself. I was like, I got this. I'm going to make up my own program. That's, that's for everybody else. And that led to a relapse thinking I can just have a drink. Yeah. I just, I I can do it normally. And then July 21 is my like sober date, 20, July 21, 21. And from there life has changed drastically. So that's where I embraced the 12 step program of Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, got involved in a beautiful female recovery community that I speak to still two or three mm-hmm. other addicts every day. They become dear friends. I never thought I needed friends. That was my, like, you know, I don't need any new friends. I've got great friends, but to have some women right. in recovery, you can't beat it because they just yeah. And I got a great therapist that specializes in addiction and, and all the other things too. Because once you remove the the primary substance, like the alcohol, the food, the drugs, the sex, the gambling, whatever, all those underlying things come up like codependency and, you know, love addiction. So I I'm dealing with all those things. It never ends. (laughs) So good therapy and then lots of journaling and reflecting every day. And then what it kind of dawned on me was like, I finally found my calm. Wow. I found my breath. And I just was like, journaling these mind maps and diagrams because I was trying to think about what is now my soul's purpose mm-hmm. on this planet for the the work or the service that I want to do. I have I really struggle with the word work. I don't say I've got to do some work this afternoon. It's like I love what I do so much and it's aligned with just my life that it doesn't feel like work. So I thought there's yeah. a, what is my next thing that I want to but not next thing. What is the thing that I want to put out to the world that can fuse together my speaking, my teaching, my movement, my meditation, my new love of recovery and all these things. So in the, sorry, it was kind of seeking something. And then in the absence of one, I created one, I created this idea of breath and fire and it truly is just a balance. So, um, that's, that launched in April, 2022. Oh my gosh. I love it. So tell me about breath and fire. Yeah, absolutely. So it is a wellness organization uh, that um, and I'm the founder of it. I don't have any team and don't plan to. I've had companies before in the past where I've had teams and I, I, I'm, I like to do things solely. I'm good on my own. <laughs> and so it involves um, uh, certain services like co- uh, coaching. So recovery coaching, wellness coaching, and somatic. So I, I, I have a lot of somatic practices that I do. I'm actually taking a really cool certificate program starting uh, next month with the Embody Lab. So it's somatic attachment mm-hmm. therapy certificate. So because the mm-hmm. body holds a lot of issues, as you know, Reiki and massage, like this, this vessel is if we can find tools to release it and uh, release what's stuck, 
that's mm-hmm. something I see my work going towards even more having the background in dance and, and fitness and yoga. And so coaching that could be one-on-one. And then I offer the breath and fire experience, which is, it can be anywhere from an hour to two hours for community members, organizations, corporate kids. I even, I did some teenagers yeah. yesterday. I was with teens all day. They need it. Oh, they need it big time. And, and it is a, uh, an experience involving um, meditation, breath work. So I got also very into um, transformational breath work practices. So meditation, breath work, yoga, dance, and it's just this big fusion. We build a fire and then we come back down. So we stoke it and there's a peak at the top and then journaling reflection after. You know, I finally found my flame. It was flickering pretty pathetically during COVID. Then in my pre, like pre-COVID, it was a raging inferno. So it's this like optimal blaze that I found now. So I help people find their flame. Yes. And, and the flame is our soul. The flame is like our essence, our soul. And we all have one that it's never gone. I always tell, you know, it hasn't gone out. I promise. You just have to find a way to fuel it or bring it down. Yes. Right. (laughs) I like that too. So from 2018 to now is where I feel like that's been this journey of like body, mind, and soul recovery. Wow. And this is so beautiful because you put everything that you were doing before that you're passionate about and you found this other peaceful side of you this calms the breath and fire I love it you put yeah, it together that's beautiful thanks yeah it does really feel like a, a calmer version of myself and I my people have known me in my life for you know decades just say that I do seem much more grounded and much calmer and when a new person meets me and says you're so calm or you're so like yeah. it is such a compliment I'm calm <laughs> I think before I just wasn't aware, you know, when you like, you're, I was constantly thinking about the next thing to say, or how can I make this about me? My ego was just having a heyday. It's still there. We can't abandon our ego. We got to be friends with it, but it's just, um, it's just not at the forefront anymore. And having to be the performer, the gain validation that way. That's right. And the validation comes from within. If we got to love ourselves, And I was like, I actually do now know what self-love is. I think that's so often the world, maybe it's because of social media, or maybe it's just the fact that, you know, humans are always, you know, have this strong ego and always try to be better and do more. Am I good enough? Seeking validations for our feelings. We need all of these things from the outside and it's very self-destructive. It is. It is. Um, it, it leads to us making decisions. I find, at least speaking personally, making decisions that are not in alignment with what you want to do. It's what you other people, how you will get, like you're making a decision based on how you're going to get the validation. So yeah. taking the gig or saying the thing or going to the place or being in that situation, doing that behavior, it's, you know, it's going to make you feel good because it'll make other people say good things about you. Mm-hmm. So that's where that has shifted. Um, yeah. You're giving them the power. Giving them the power. Yes. And I think it comes with, um, kind of in the most simple terms, not caring what people think. And that's, that's so easy to say, but that has to come with, uh, that, that takes practice number one, but realizing that this is actually all that matters in terms of like your physical body. If this is not in alignment and, and happy and, you know, well taken care of, you can't serve anybody else. And I, I would preach that. I would talk about that. Fill your cup first before you go anywhere. And I didn't do any, I didn't do any. Yeah. I mean, I literally could have told you everything about boundaries, 
codependency, all of the things I could literally, I mean, I knew that those books and I knew how to do it, but I wasn't living it. I totally could relate. And then when I finally did, I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't remember really what I, actually I do. The, what clicked for me is that I, I, I stopped thinking that I was doing all of it for somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> and we think we, I do, I mean, I have this messaging in my, so when I do my breath and fire movement experience, I am asking, I act as more their guide. So I ask them to be creative. There is no right or wrong way to move. Say we have a song on, I'll show them a simple movement and have them through my voice. I'll guide them how to make it look different. So they all look different. And there's always that voice in their head. And I call them out on it and say, I know that voice is talking to you say, saying, you look stupid. What are you doing? You don't know what you're doing. And then the most important one, we are so concerned what others think of us. But if we're all, this is in my class, but if we're all thinking that everyone's looking at us, then no one's looking at you because we actually are all concerned about ourselves. So I think if we can drop the narrative that people actually care more than because they don't, people are so busy with their own lives and doing their own thing, but we think they're obsessed about, about talking about our situation. I had that when I got sober, I thought, what are people going to think of me that I had to seek treatment and this and that and my clients. And I kind of went underground for a while, really Number one, people didn't even know. People I assumed knew that I got sober and I thought they'd have judgment. Didn't even know because they're wrapped up in their own lives. <laughs> number two, they didn't care. And number three, most of them were proud of me. But but it's that narrative that we tell ourselves that yeah. people are talking about us. But if, if we just drop it because they're not. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's really funny. You'll like, you'll appreciate this. This one girl we had on, um, she called her ego her drunk best friend. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect <laughs> definitely that's the ego, yeah the ego is an interesting one but I have read around the ideas like we can't get rid of it we can help yeah. to dismantle it and we can look at when we're making decisions is my ego kind of at play here is it because you know I'm going to get validation and do that for this reason and we can just make a better decision but we can't let it totally go away we have to just befriend it yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I agree. I'm checking mine all the time. <laughs> it's also about motivation, right? Like what's my motivation for this decision? Yeah, right. And that, that's your, that's a lot of attachment to your ego. Mm, absolutely. So are you doing this on zoom? Can anybody access your classes? Yeah. So not anything right now on zoom. I did have a homecoming program that uh, just wrapped up in December. Oh, yeah. I, I, now that things are up and running in person, I'm really digging it because the connection is just unreal and I've, I missed it so much. So yeah. currently right now, nothing going on Zoom that's like live. However, um, launching February 1st is my 12 day. I did a 12 day breath and fire challenge in December that was received super well. So what happens is every day there is uh, the three pillars of breath and fire is movement, meditation and uh, reflection. So moving your body in some way creatively doing some meditation or breathwork practice. So grounding and then a journal prompt. So every day for 12 days, the participants in the challenge receive that into their inbox, an audio file, a video file, and a, and a journal prompt. So that's mm -hmm. going to be live on my website for purchase as of February 1st, the 12 day challenge. It's just a great way to start a, a commitment to yourself every day. And okay. I, I take it away that those words um, routine or ritual, I say commitment. So it's a daily commitment, not a daily routine. Why 12 days? 
I don't know. I, well, I was picking off the 12 days of Christmas. Yeah. Okay. I like <laughs> and I see yeah. myself adding more. Like they're probably, I just have 12 days to load up as of Feb one and it's all going to be ready. But in terms of coaching that is done over zoom or phone calls. Okay. So that can be anywhere, you know, North America or international, I suppose. So one-on-one coaching and then any corporation or organization that would want to have their employees, you know, experience, like I can come in person, travel, the themes in, in corporate that I tend to do are uh, burnout, being resistant to burnout or strategies to not get there, authenticity. So stepping into your authentic self, which will get you get yourself to know each know yourself more so you can be a more effective part of a team. And just also amazing, amazing team builder for any, any organization. So moving together, being together, experiencing. And you're in the Toronto area. So. I mean, the Toronto area, we call it the GTA, Greater Toronto Area. So Toronto okay. is a huge spread. Yeah. Okay. Greater Toronto Area. Yeah. But okay. I travel, you know, I, I go all over the place for my work. Yeah. Because I have, I mean, I have lots of listeners in Canada, you know, like last night, I had this participant of um, my Patreon circles and she, she goes to an awake therapist. I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Where can I find an awake therapist? Yeah, no kidding. That sounds great. <laughs> no, it's in Canada too. It's in Canada? It's, I yeah, know. It's nice to have a coach or therapist that also understands uh, addiction and recovery and what comes with that. So yeah, if anybody's interested in coaching that involves the body, like somatic practices for releasing trauma and moving oh, life, that's, that's my jam. That's my specialty. Yeah. Lately I've had, I've literally over just since Monday have had two people come to me and tell me they're in so much pain. They're, you know, doing all the things they've gone to the doctor. There's nothing wrong. This, this, and that. I'm like, yeah, it's an inner thing. You need to honor your body from the inside out. Absolutely. Yeah. So I will definitely send them your way. That's yeah, the website, um, breathandfire.com or Instagram is a great place to see like, you know, dynamic, uh, um, what I'm, what I'm up to and it's Michelle mm-hmm. underscore breath and fire. Awesome. Congratulations on your sobriety. Yeah. So- I mean, it's really hard. And, and so I just, I honor you for, yeah. for, for, you know, doing this and then also, you know, spreading that love you know, with the world and with others. I feel like I'm, yeah, I've, I found that glow again. Like I have it back and it did, you know, it, it feels really good. And it's the, it's the right kind of glow. It's the mm-hmm. part that I would say. Part. It's the good fire part. And then the breath <laughs> part, I can't get enough of the calm. So. Right. Um, and it's authentic, right? It's the eternal flame, mm-hmm. right? That cannot be blown out. So. That's right. The eternal flame. And now it's time for Break That Shit Down. What speaks to me, what comes to me right away is uh, never never being afraid of who your authentic self is. Because even if we identify a certain way, like I never thought, like I wanted to always be an extrovert, the fun, outgoing, perceived party girl, energetic, bubbly, whatever that was. But that was like an old, young, young version of myself. We have to also embrace our age. Like, you know, I'm approaching 50 and introverted, calm, you know, Zen 50 year old Michelle, that's a good Michelle. And so I think that, you know, we have to like really honor our, our age and where we're at and not be afraid of change. I think we're afraid of change. I was stuck in my 20, I stuck wanting in my 20 year old mindset, wanting to still be that way. So embracing age, looking for authenticity and just just finding that flame and knowing that everyone's is different. So we're on our own journey. I love that. You're embracing the crone, <laughs> but I can't really embrace the fact that I was up all night last night from hot flashes. 
(laughs) when it does come though, I mean, I've talked to so many women who say instead of the resistance, like accept it, embrace it. Wisdom comes with this. True. I love that. I had a lot of masculine energy. So that really, I've done a lot of work and reading around that. So that power that, that comes with the fire, right? The fiery, powerful side of me. And what I've also embraced in recovery in this Michelle 2.0 version, the soft feminine side. Yes. Yes. Me too. Huge for me. So that, that, those are my final words. And don't look at the divine feminine and don't be afraid of the softness. I love it. You're beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening.